So after that recovery, they gave me six months chemotherapy and three months radiotherapy. And after that, I began to get better. They cleared the actual uh, cancer cells, and you just went for tests periodically. Well, of course, that's all done now. That's fine. But they did say, Mm -hmm. as a busy manual chap you are, just be careful you don't cut yourself or just, you know, in life, look after yourself. So the compensation was that you had penicillin daily. So life took on, again, full flow. You know, I thought, right, beaten that. And so, 85, 86, 87, and it was in March 87 when I was doing a contract in Adelston in Surrey, where I was really tired because the company was very busy. And um, unfortunately, I cut my hand uh, on a contract because I was called in to do something where I was running the company. I didn't have a team to do certain things. And it was opening, a, it was a chamber that had been covered over years in a public house, the Wagon and Horse Inn in Adelston in Surrey. And I, uh, I pulled it up and found it. Uh, we had a problem with it. That's why we were there to repair it. And I cut my hand. And uh, unfortunately, this had not been open for 100 years. So you can imagine the poison that was in the chamber itself. Yeah, yeah. Having said what I did about the spleen being taken out, it uh, rang a little bell in my brain thinking, oh, dear, I've got to be a bit careful about this. But unfortunately, it was done. And I think that poison had got into the body. And 48 hours later, I was feeling so ill um, I was rushed into hospital, into Princess Margaret Windsor, where they gave me um, quite a strong drug. I think it was like Domestos, really, because it killed all known germs. Yeah. But unfortunately, by then, septicemia set in, and uh, my kidneys were starting to fail. So they had to rush me by blue light from there to Hammersmith Hospital um, in a renal ward. And unfortunately, then I was on kidney dialysis, and by then my arms were going black. And I don't remember too much then, really. It was just a case of I was dying. Um, and they really were trying to save my life. And then on March, Friday the 13th, um, they decided to remove my arms and legs. And I knew nothing about my legs being moved, removed, but I, I knew about my arms, because they were just like bits of wood. But I was so high as a kite that um, they could have done anything to me. Was there any decision on your part? Were you, were you involved in any decision at that point? <laughs> Well, you know, my, the problem is that when you're in a situation like that, I can describe myself as in a war zone where bombs are yeah, dropping on me yeah. all the time. And the decision was that my arms were so cold, I needed something to be done quick. So I knew that they had to be amputated, but I couldn't sign anything. My wife said, yes, we need to do that. But I didn't know anything about my legs, you see. Mm, yeah. And I think they were concerned more about the arms, but... Eventually, when I was on the operating table, the legs started to go black, so they had to do the whole lot on one day, and that was March, Friday the 13th. Wow. And you see, you can't make a decision like that. I mean, all I know is I was dying, So, and all the medical team are there to save a life. Um, I suppose there was subconsciously me saying, I don't want to live all this, I just want to die, you know, yeah. because I don't think any human being should be put through all this. And, you know, you think, back, I've gone through cancer, now this. My God, who is testing me up there? <clears throat> so, mm. you know, that, that was done. And uh, I think it was three or four days later coming out of uh, recovery, but I was still very poorly. My dad told me about my legs, and uh, that really shot me through the roof. I thought, oh, my God. And I can tell you now, I can picture my mind saying to myself, I'm a teddy bear, literally a teddy bear now, because yeah. no hands, no feet. And with having kidney dialysis, you think to yourself, 
I don't really want to go through this at all. Mm. And I became very bitter, very bitter indeed. And I, I, I to this day, I, I don't know how I've coped <clears throat> with getting out of that situation. I can remember, <clears throat> or weeks later in Hammersmith, setting up and the drugs were being sort of reduced. And I'd never, ever really been too religious, although I went to a church of Indian school, and I believe. I wanted to go to the chapel. And uh, the nurse said, what would you want to do, Ray? I said, just take me into the chapel, which was nearby in Hammersmith uh, Hospital, down the corridor. So I just got in there. And I remember on that March day, it was snowing outside, and the heating was full on. And went into the chapel, and she left me for what might have been a couple of minutes, felt like hours, really. It got very cold, as if the heating was suddenly turned off, and I felt some kind of feeling around me. Um, must have gone into a deep sleep, really, or whatever I or whatever I did, and I felt something happening, as if someone sort of saying to me, "It'd be okay." And then the nurse came back, and uh, never thought too much about it. But two days later, the kidneys came back, although they might have done anyway, because it was in a set, in shock, and they do come back. And secondly, I had this positive attitude thinking, I think I've got to go through this. And um, I truly believe, looking back, that I have a guardian angel that's really guiding me to what I'm doing now. And so, you know, the fight was, and my twins, of course, was the, the, the kind of the common denominator, really. My little boy and little girl needed their daddy. Although I, how, what I could do, I don't know. I was a builder and I had my own company. And now look at me, I don't know what. I was going to achieve. The question, Ray, I'm asking is kind of when you say about the kind of the guardian angel and what happened to you, is that something you think is physically real or are you not bothered whether it's real or not? It's just a mental, you know, is, is it a mental attitude that changed at that point or are you not bothered? Oh, that's a good question. I think... You know, it just works, basically. Uh, that's, that's my question, you know. I, I think um, when you're at the lowest ebb, and I believe that maybe soldiers in war or people who go through hell always say, oh God, please help me. There is that yeah, sort of yeah. being that you want there to help because sometimes you're at the end of the road, aren't you? you, you you've got That's no one right. else to turn yeah. to. And um, if you believe, then something will happen, whether or not it be something that's religious, but you have to have that belief that you're strong enough to overcome this. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I just feel as though hold on to that because if that's the saviour that's there so be it really. yeah uh, do you mean kind of hold on to that you found that uh, feeling or emotion and thought right I want this I want to keep this exactly I'm, I'm exactly. not letting go of this positive really, feeling uh, acquire a very um, strong will to say yes that's going to be my my kind of um, leaning post really yeah yeah well I, I mean I, I speak just listening to your story. It, it's absolutely fascinating and fascinating knowing what I know about you, which is very little, but you've obviously moved on from that, haven't you? And um, you're a very positive guy now. You do motivational speaks and stuff like that, speaking. Um, and you are now involved in an organisation called LimbCare. You are, uh, do I call you the director or you? I'm, you, I'm the chairman. You're the chairman of LimbCare. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about LimbCare and what? what that organisation yeah, does? I feel is to create independence for all limb-impaired people throughout the UK and abroad and to give them hope and encouragement so we have a chance to give the best to society through fitness, through dance, through music and also I want to help them with um, community situations where access into properties, their homes, 
and just give them hope and hopefully um, carry out what we call an assessment as well. And eventually I want to form Limb Care, the Limb Care Centre. Now that would be a centre of a unique opportunity where people and their families and all their supporters will go in through double doors and ask for help either by counselling, by having a chill-out area where they can sit and just discuss amongst themselves, a theatre, a lecture theatre where we can talk to uh, local authorities and people who are professionals. There'll be a swimming pool, there'll be a dance floor, there'll be a teaching area, and there'll be also information for whether they're having benefits and that. And hopefully all that will give them an idea of life is still worth living and even help them into work again. And then they come out of those doors smiling. Now, I think, what better way to give back to society? Fantastic, what, society yeah. what Hopefully medicine and everyone's given back to me. Yeah. Um, now then, uh, another interesting thing is uh, some little jaunt you're going on in uh, September. <laughs> you know... <laughs> <laughs> I suppose a, a little walk in the park sounds a little bit wrong, really. Yeah, I'm putting it a bit wrong. Just tell us what you're up to in September, well, in aid of the charity. You know, I think your listeners must think I'm a bit of a mad hatter in some ways. <laughs> if they didn't, I, I then they're about to. Yeah, mad dogs and Englishmen, and I go into both categories. because, And yes, I, along with four other amputees, of which I am the one that's got the worst amputees, amputations, are going to do Kilimanjaro this year and leave the UK on the 7th of September, come back on the 19th, and we hope to reach the summit on the 16th of September. And we will be the first civilian amputees to reach uh, the summit of Kilimanjaro, and I will be the first non-mountaineer quad amputee in the world to do it. And I, what I want to do is to open the eyes, make people aware that nothing is impossible, and to give hope to others. And, you know, it's going to be a great... Um, challenge. I am certainly concerned, yeah. and certainly spiritually it's going to do something special to me, but this is not a walk in the park, as I said. This is kind of a logistic challenge, and I've got a lot of people concerned about me, because as I said to you, four limbs gone for a start, so domestic juice is a bit difficult, so I need help. Having had the heart attack, I'm going through so many tests I've done now, I've completed that. So at 55 years old, I must be as fit as an old twit, really, you know, and I, I, yeah. I must say that... Um, I, I am looking forward to it immensely. And at the end of the day, what I want to do is to write a book called I'm Still Standing. <laughs> <laughs> I so, mean, the question, immediate question is that you're, I mean, you know, uh, even your average guy at, at that age doing that, but I mean, you've got to do that and overcome the physical challenges. How are you physically going to do that for a start? Are you going to work together as a team to get yourselves up there? Yeah, I, I think you'll find that we've, We've had so many training sessions that we've done Dartmoor, we've done Box Hill. We're doing so many physical training sessions that are harder than the climb to get ourselves, number one, physically acclimatised to things, secondly, team building, and thirdly, to see how your body can react to all this. But the only thing we'll never be able to do, Mike, is the altitude because yeah. we can't train on altitude. And we know that we're going to be starting off at 6,500 feet at the bottom of Killy because it's in Tanzania, and we will be going up to 19,500 feet. I, I, I know just talking to you that you are going to do it, but I, I still think you're nuts. Do you know, my mother says that. She says that I'm nuts. <laughs> I'll it's kind of a it's not comic relief where we've got Cheryl Cole laying on a lovely bed and that and makeup. This is the reality. 
this is a reality show. This now, I'm sure people will be able to um, keep up with your progress and stuff on the website, won't they? Yeah, uh, I mean, the website is www.limcare.org. Brilliant. Well, I, I hope I get a chance to talk to you after you've done this, and um, you'll come back on the show and tell us how it went, because I know that it's going to be a real buzz for you, isn't it, to um, Oh, my, to definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'd, I'd love to talk to you again. Uh, Ray, if I've got this right, it's limcare.org, is that right? Limcare.org. Yeah, you can find out about the organisation, sponsor them, um, drop some money in the pot, anything you want to do just to keep uh, keep up with Ray, is that right? Yeah, can I just say more, one thing, Mike? Can I can I thank Mark Walsh, who who owns the bus company that you saw my uh, my post Absolutely, on the back? Absolutely, yeah. You know, he's a great friend, and uh, to thanks to Mark, you know, people are getting to know me, and uh, I just want to help others. So, anyone that wants to ring us on our helpline, please do so. Absolutely fantastic talking to you. Thanks for taking the time this morning, Ray, and uh, the very very best of luck. Thanks, Mike. Bye bye. Speak to you soon. Bye bye now.